Chapter Four of the Mystery of the Pinckney Draft. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Pinckney Draft by Charles C. Knott. Chapter Four, Madison as a Witness. Having now seen what Pinckney said in 1818 and what he did and where he stood, let us turn to the other party in the controversy, Madison and examine the testimony which he gave and the evidence on which he relied. His journal, as edited by Gilpin, after setting forth the speech of Randolph on the 29th of May, and the reference of the fifteen resolutions of the Virginia delegates to the Committee of the Whole, contains this record. Mr. Charles Pinckney laid before the House a draft of a federal government to be agreed upon between the free and independent states of America, ordered that the same be referred to the Committee of the Whole appointed to consider the state of the American Union. But Yates's minutes give us one thing more. Mr. Pinckney, a member from South Carolina, then added that he had reduced his ideas of a new government to a system which he then read. Madison's report of Pinckney's speech on the 25th of June stops with the subject of state governments and the propriety of having but one general system. But Yates gives in a condensed form the conclusion of Pinckney's speech and contains the following sentences. I am led to form the second branch of the legislature differently from the report. I have considered the subject with great attention and I propose this plan, reads it, and if no better plan is proposed, I will then move its adoption. Once, while reflecting upon the extraordinary, the seemingly inexplicable course which Madison pursued in relation to the Pinckney draft, positive and yet evasive, alleging but never testifying, my eye happened to fall on this minute of Yates, and it suggested the fact of these repeated omissions of Madison's to state the contents of the Pinckney draft, and I asked myself the question, is it possible that Madison never knew what the draft contained? In an examination of the facts relating to this question, I found that the entry in the journal above quoted, Mr. Charles Pinckney laid before the House a draft, etc., had been taken word for word from the entry of the secretary of the convention in the official journal. I found also that at four different times in the course of the debates, Madison designated the draft by four different terms, as Mr. Pinckney's plan, as Mr. Pinckney's resolutions, as Mr. Pinckney's motion, as Mr. Pinckney's propositions not one of which expressed the idea of a formulated constitution. It is therefore evident that Madison did not hear Pinckney read his draft as Yates did, and did not hear him say, as Yates did, that he had reduced his ideas of a new government to a system. My inference then was, and still is, that Madison was temporarily absent from the hall when Pinckney produced and read his draft, and that on hearing of it he went to the secretary's desk and copied the entry in the official journal, an entry which is also silent as to Pinckney having read the draft, 
and which describes it in language entirely different from Yeats's, and entirely different from Pinckney's, for Pinckney's draft does not profess to be an agreement between the free and independent states of America, but is avowedly an act of the people of the United States. It therefore appears both positively and negatively that Madison was not present when Pinckney presented his draft, that he could not have heard Pinckney's designation of it as a system, and could not have heard Pinckney read it to the convention. He regrets in another place that he did not take a copy of it because of its length, and it may be inferred from what may be termed his unfailing ignorance of its contents that he did not read it because of its length. Madison had a poor opinion of Pinckney, a very poor opinion, and he held fast to it all through his life. During the sitting of the convention, the draft was referred to repeatedly in discussions and motions and references. Madison recorded what was said and the more important of the motions and references, but his opinion of Pinckney was so poor that he did not put himself to the trouble of stepping to the secretary's desk and reading the draft, much less of taking a copy of it. In October 1787, after the dissolution of the convention, he wrote from New York to Washington and Jefferson the following letters. James Madison to General Washington. New York, October 14, 1787. I add to it a pamphlet which Mr. Pinckney has submitted to the public, or rather as he professes, to the perusal of his friends, and a printed sheet containing his ideas on a very delicate subject, too delicate in my opinion to have been properly confided to the press. He conceives that his precautions against any further circulation of the piece than he himself authorizes are so effectual as to justify the step. I wish he may not be disappointed. In communicating a copy to you, I fulfill his wishes only. Gaylord Hunt's Writings of Madison, Volume 5, Page 9. Madison to Jefferson. New York, October 24, 1787. To these papers I add a speech of Mr. C.P. on the Mississippi business. It is printed under precautions of secrecy, but surely could not have been properly exposed to so much risk of publication. Same as above, page 39. Madison to General Washington. New York, October 28, 1787. Mr. Charles Pinckney's character is, as you observe, well marked by the publications which I enclosed. His printing the secret paper at this time could have no motive but the appetite for expected praise, for the subject to which it relates has been dormant a considerable time and seems likely to remain so. Same as above, page 43. In the memorandum for Mr. Paulding, written shortly before April 6, 1831, reappears Madison's poor opinion of Pinckney. It has occurred to me that a copy of the observations may be attainable at the printing office, if still kept up, or in some of the libraries or historical collections in the city. 
when you can snatch a moment in your walks with other views for a call at such places you will promote an object of some little interest as well as delicacy by ascertaining whether the article in question can be met with on the twenty-fifth of november eighteen thirty one he wrote to jared sparks i lodged in the same house with him and he was fond of conversing on the subject as you will have less occasion than you expect to speak of the convention of seventeen eighty seven may it not be best to say nothing of this delicate topic relating to mr pinckney on which you cannot use all the lights that exist and that may be added on the sixth of january eighteen thirty four he wrote to thomas s grimke there are a number of other points in the published draft some conforming most literally to the adopted constitution which it is ascertainable could not have been the same in the draft laid before the convention the conformity and even identity of the draft in the journal with the adopted constitution on points and details the results of conflicts and compromises of opinion apparent in the journal have excited an embarrassing curiosity often expressed to myself or in my presence the subject is in several respects a delicate one and it is my wish that what is now said of it may be understood as yielded to your earnest request and as entirely confined to yourself i knew mr pinckney well and was always on a footing of friendship with him but this consideration ought not to weigh against justice to others as well as against truth on a subject like that of the constitution of the united states and on the fifth of june eighteen thirty five he wrote to william a Duer, i have marked this letter confidential and wish it to be considered for yourself only in my present condition enfeebled by age and crippled by disease i may well be excused for wishing not to be in any way brought to public view on subjects involving considerations of a delicate nature madison wrote with characteristic caution and courtesy but there is something very suggestive in the way he uses the word delicate neither mr paulding nor mr sparks nor mr grimke nor judge Duer could have doubted that there was something wrong in the draft something so wrong that madison did not wish to speak of it it is manifest that when madison first read the draft in the state department he was surprised he does not say so and is very guarded in what he does say yet it is perfectly plain that the magnitude of this contribution to the constitution was something absolutely new to him he better than any other man was supposed to know the work and workings of the convention and lo here was a document of more importance than any given in his journal or found among the records of the convention and of its contents he had been ignorant until the document was laid before the world by the state department between eighteen eighteen and eighteen thirty six the magnitude of this and its importance as an historical document was forced upon madison's attention from time to time by younger men who took a warmer interest in the constitution and its history and its framers than their fathers had taken 
and it is apparent that he was astounded at the historical importance of the document. Marshall was then drawing near to the end of his majestic judicial reign, and though assailed and thwarted by the cavillings and dissents of lesser men, had placed his imperishable impress upon the Constitution, and revealed to his countrymen its greatness and consistency and power of nationality the growing interest in the great instrument would not be quieted madison would fain have kept silent as he advised his two most trusted correspondents to do but he could not he was the greatest of authorities living or dead in all that pertained to the making of the constitution the last living member of the convention the sole chronicler of its secret history it is as plain now as it was then that he must speak. What could he say? Madison was not able to say, I read the Pinckney draft where it was before the convention. I studied it. I knew the contents well. The paper in the State Department is not a substitute duplicate of that paper. There remained then but this alternative he must confess that he knew no more about the Pinckney draft than did the men who were interrogating him, or he must do precisely what he did do. He must attack it on documentary evidence as an advocate, and must remain silent as a witness. If he had testified as a witness, if he had said of his own knowledge that the paper which Pinckney placed in the State Department was not a copy of the paper which he had laid before the convention, and was not a substantial duplicate worthy of consideration, that would have been the end of the matter. Certainly I should never have felt called upon to make the present investigation. But Madison did not so testify. Under the pressure of steadily increasing interest in the Constitution, inquirer after inquirer, came to him to explain how a man whom they did not regard as a wise statesman could have contributed so much to the constitution which they had regarded as the composite work of a number of great men they did not come to him for reasons or advice or references to documentary evidence but because he was the one survivor of the men who could have testified the only chronicler of what had happened in the convention from first to last, and they sought his personal knowledge. They asked him to tell them what he knew concerning the Pinckney draft, the original draft, the one which was before the convention, and he answered not a word. We must reject Madison as a witness, because he rejected himself. End of chapter 4